from socialservices.sg, I'm Jing Yao. One year ago, we documented community initiatives and discussed structural challenges related to the COVID-19 pandemic in Singapore. One year later, we're inviting the same guests back to talk about their work, how they are feeling, and what they think we have learned or have yet to learn from the pandemic. Today, we have Vincent Ng, General Manager of the Cooperative A Good Space. We talk about his personal and professional development, including the cooperative's work and his vision for active citizenry in the country. Together with his partners, as you may have heard in our previous episode with Abhishek, Vincent is conducting a poll on the creation of structures to nourish change makers and enable them to go the distance. The link is available in the show notes. Vincent, uh, it's been a year since we last spoke about on this podcast about the circuit breaker, about how a good space or EGS responded and how you were doing personally, right, at the point in time. So I want to start from the personal first, right? So how have you been feeling in the past year since April, since when we last spoke at the circuit breaker? Yeah, thanks, 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 Tina, and thanks for having me. You know, always a pleasure to speak with you. I think, you know, a good space was registered as a co-op on March 31st. This was just a few days before the circuit breaker happened, I think on April 2nd. I think. So at the time, public funding, which had really been our main source of funds, didn't come through. So immediately it was like kind of like a fight of our life where we had to confront very existential questions right away. Like, you know, what is our value proposition to the social sector and how to find a business model? And really there was a high chance that we will get killed off before we even got a chance to live. So... I think emotionally, there was a lot to deal with and process. I had never run a non-profit organization before. And you know, there's just so much to learn about community building, creating a, strat- a strategic plan, finding a business model. And I think fear and anxiety were a constant companion. Uh, you know, what might happen to the co-op? If it fails, then all the effort that we put in. So many nights and weekends were just desperately trying to learn and think my way out of this, this situation. And it just you know, created more anxiety, stress, and more heaviness and burnout. But I think, you know, at least I, I take some solace that I'm starting to know what I don't know. Where previously, I, I don't know what I don't know. But now, at least, I, I maybe I know a bit of what I don't know and I can intentionally try to improve in those areas. And, and, and another learning for me that I'm trying to practice is this idea of just surrendering and letting go of control. And especially in community building, I think there's many things to surrender to that I, I am just not very comfortable with. Because I think last time in, in, when I was in school, it was very clear. Like, you work hard. Uh, by right, you should get some good results. But, but here it's a bit different, I guess. You work hard, the community doesn't necessarily come together. You know, it's not, it grows at its own time and its own pace. And then even for a non-profit or now, let's say we have need to have a business model, yeah, it might not even succeed despite our best efforts. So if I look back on this whole thing, yeah, I, I think this idea of like, what is it about not knowing that makes it so uncomfortable? And what practices can I then adopt to be more comfortable with not knowing has been something that I've been trying to practice. Yeah, and you because you mentioned the co-op, right? And I mean, professionally, you're still with AGS, a good space, and which is now a cooperative, and you now serve as um, general manager, right? You spoke personally about the fear, the anxiety about dealing with the uncertainty of how things will pan out. So last year, when DOSCON is a term we are somehow has fallen out of the lexicon, but it yeah. turned from yellow <laughs> to orange, we're in perpetual orange right now. AGS really quickly mobilized with spreadsheets and websites and initiatives. And this is what you said last there, and I quote, right, you said, there were so many people who were doing similar things. So then the question was, how could we at least 
make people aware of whether or not they choose to collaborate. So with that background in mind, how has the work of AGS evolved um, in the past year for you and the team? Yeah, I think when you sent me this question, Tina, it was really good for me like, uh, as well. Because we haven't really taken stock. Like we just do, 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 do. But then, yeah, it was a nice opportunity to take stock. So I, I have a, a slightly longer response to this. But I think personally for me, I have a much deeper appreciation of the nuances of organizing a community and what roles AGS can play. I think if, you, if we look back at our initial attempt at the spreadsheet, we just really wanted to create a space for people to come together, list their own initiatives. You can see what, what initiatives other people are creating and connect if you need to. So where possible, we could collaborate rather than duplicate. And then when Mothership featured their spreadsheet, very quickly attracted a lot of people to populate it and kind of like self-organize. But if I was being completely honest, I don't think there was a clear goal to work towards. And personally, I wasn't really sure so what to do with all the listings. So very quickly, it became like a notice board and the spreadsheet kind of faded away uh, when other platforms came into play. Like for example, when MBTC started a Facebook group and they gathered different people involved in the community response, which interestingly has also become kind of like a notice board now like as, as COVID has kind of, kind of continued and become an endemic here in Singapore. But later on in the year, uh, last year, our chairperson and here, she gathered seven other organizations to form this Mind the Gap Collective as an emergency response to support low-income uh, individuals uh, and families who were financially affected by COVID. This collective eventually raised $1.12 million to support over 766 individuals and families, uh, including two in Pula Ubi because of uh, Abhishek's work there. <laughs> but I, I thought what was interesting for me was when I observed Antia's leadership and the work of the collective, it kind of helped me glean into the role that maybe AGS could play for the social sector. And I think that really is you know, because of the networks that we've been building we could convene more collectives like this to tackle either urgent or complex issues that need cross-sector collaboration. Right? No one can do it alone. Uh, and in particular, I think it really helped us clarify that we can do three things as a convener. One right, is to gather change makers who are interested in creating a common future uh, for a particular issue or, or community. Whether this is an emergency response for financial assistance like the Mind the Gap, uh, or supporting the mental well-being of our migrant brothers. And I think this shared vision is what will bring us some energy and help us go beyond a notice spot like the spreadsheet was in the past, uh, but go beyond that to create some deeper change. So that, that was one thing that I've been reflecting on. The other thing is that maybe we could also play the role of fostering deeper relationships uh, amongst the participating members. And if I look back at the Mind the Gap Collective, many of the things that I think the collective did there were quite unusual in that we agreed on a common criteria for financial disbursement. We agreed on several things very, very quickly uh, and it moved at a very, very fast pace. And I think this really speaks to the, the trust and the relationships that was formed that allowed us to do a lot of these things. Um, and it became the foundation for us to like share information actually very freely, collaborate very meaningfully rather than just on a very transactional level as I felt maybe the spreadsheet was. Uh, just, you know, you will do what I do, what then can we like exchange in our resources? The last piece is really this idea that maybe this too is not enough, but the third one is to build structures of accountability so that we can move beyond talking to actual outcomes. I think this was missing in the spreadsheet as well. There really wasn't any necessarily accountability measures to say like, you know, this is a goal that we're working towards and these are the milestones that we are working towards so that we make sure that work actually gets done and social impact gets created. So out of all these reflections, we kind of created this uh, two-year process. It was uh, kind of 
started by Apishek, then we kind of refined it over the last year. But we are, we are calling it a, a good space living labs. And the idea here is to convene a diverse collective of citizens to unpack prototype and then eventually collaborate on ideas, uh, starting with two issue areas. Uh, one is uh, the, the, how, how, how can we restore dignity in our low-income community, building on the work that we did in the Mind the Gap Collective. The other is to look at how can we work safeguard the mental well-being of our migrant brothers, because that's a huge thing now. And we can actually take this same process and apply it to other issues like race and racism. So, so that's, that's our thoughts on that so far. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, those three points, the, I think what you're alluding to is that there is a lot of background or behind the scenes kind of work that, that, that is in the, that, that's required before any form of meaningful collaboration or even any forms of trying to keep people accountable can come in like you know you use the metaphor of the uh, of the notice board right like it's a really elegant way of illustrating your final point about accountability which is you could list opportunities and offers and requests there but there's no way of tracking more understanding you know to what extent have um, folks followed up or done any form of work right it's not that they expected to but if you really want to have more kind of consistent, consolidated effort, you would need that kind of not over, I hate to use the word oversight, but then work that 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 work tracking and trying to make sure that some things are done. And that leads me to next question, right? Because another thing you mentioned last year, which is very perceptive, like something you alluded to last year, was that uh, we shouldn't let the pandemic go to waste, right? You said that while individual initiatives may not last beyond the pandemic we might have developed muscles and relationships which will continue to be sustained. From you know, your work in the past year, you talked about the living labs with the migrant brothers and workers and with the um, low-income families. To what extent has that happened, right? Have, have these muscles and relationships been sustained or have they not been sustained? So how has that happened over the past year? I feel like you know, we can explore this in two angles. One is the muscles for active citizenry and the muscles of collaboration. I think in, in my view, I, I feel the, the jury is still out. Like, whether have we strengthened the muscles of active citizenry as a society? But personally, for me, I, I, I want to believe that we have. In fact, recently, the, the, the majority trust, they produced a report on, on ground-up movements that they funded during the pandemic uh, with the SG Strong Fund. And it, it found that actually one in three, uh, 33% of their ground-up initiatives were started by folks leading a community project for the first time. I think things like this gives us some, some, some hope that if this person was not in the sector before, never do anything before, because of the pandemic, he or she or them have, have come in. But I, I thought that, that that was encouraging. And I think personally, as a, on an anecdotal level, I, I've seen a lot of folks who started different initiatives, right? And even though the initiatives were complete, uh, or they actually moved on to start other things. I think this, this only bodes well uh, for this culture of active citizenry that we want to see. I feel like the next step is for us to then consider what is the role, uh, as you mentioned earlier, of citizens, ground-up movements, and even social enterprises in this social sector ecosystem that we want to see? Can it go beyond charities, beyond IPCs, even beyond CLGs, right, to include this wider group of people? The, can, and, and even looking at, you know, can they be encouraged to go beyond providing services directly to beneficiaries, to playing the, more the role of community builders or even contributing to more systemic change? Mm-hmm. Because honestly, many of the projects that I saw during COVID, right, a lot of these that were started by ground-up movements were things like mass distributions, collecting stories, very, very much direct service, uh, which, which is great. And I, I, I think there definitely is a need for that. I guess then the question becomes, like, can we go beyond that, right, to play a more longer-term role of community building, even 
more systemic like policy advocacy. And I think this is a even better step, right, to the participatory democracy that at least I hope for in our country, that us as citizens, our responsibility as a citizen is not just to vote once every five years, but also to support the government and formal institutions without expecting them to do everything. So that's the piece on like muscles for active citizenry. I think the muscles for collaboration, I, I personally feel that a lot of encouraging signs of the spirit of collaboration being sustained. So not just being built, but being sustained. So for example, actually a good space is part of a, a NGO alliance with the, with the Ministry of Manpower, MOM. And they have actually been quite keen and quite open and quite active actually to seek the views of NGOs and engaging directly with us in our efforts to support the migrant workers. Uh, I mean, even though at, at that time he was the second minister, but now the uh, minister right, he, uh, of, of manpower, uh, he, he comes for these, these, these monthly meetings. And I think in general, there just is some very earnest kind of effort to want to listen in. Uh, whether or not they can you know, take in some of the suggestions is, is maybe you know, they have their own like, uh, difficulties, but I, I, I thought that, that effort is, is, is very, it's very good. And I think even with things like the Alliance for Action, I think there are 25, I was just reading the news yesterday, that there seems to be a more concerted effort from public agencies to engage with civil society. So I hope these trends continue, you know, even amongst ourselves as civil society organizations, as with the kind of MTG collective, I hope we can see more, more efforts. You know. It's quite neat because the, if I were to summarize your sense of optimism, I think it was a very neat way of, of, of saying it. You said, you know, sustaining the muscles of active citizenry for more participatory democracy. That's, I, when I was thinking about that, 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 number one, it will form the title of the podcast. And number two, I think it's a very neat way of rethinking how we want to configure the space for folks to be involved and to sustain that involvement, right? Because, you know, just before recording this episode, we had a really good discussion about how a lot of mobilization happens because of a disaster like COVID-19. But then the challenge now is not wishing for disasters, but in between disasters or in between events, how do we sustain those interests and how do we build the muscle so that they can be mobilized when needed, right? Something that Abhishek mentioned just before this episode was how compared to Circuit Breaker 2020, when the enhanced measures kicked in this time round, there was less attention, but there was a lot more action in terms of people knowing like your muscle memory kicks into action, kicks into gear and folks know how to mobilize now, which... You know, that was interesting to, to note that, that parallel, which shouldn't be surprising since the four of you work so closely together. I guess on that note, the final question I have is that, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic, which is hopefully going to become endemic. Well, I shouldn't say hopefully, but it's going to become endemic. But what's your vision for active citizenship and citizenry and, and, and in the future, right? So more specifically, something you alluded to, given your expertise, how should ground-up movements be formally recognized as part of our social service ecosystem in Singapore? And I should mention, before I give you the last word, would be you, AGS, OP, and Sixth Sense um, are running a poll right now looking at um, ground-up. So tell us a bit more about that and also tell us a bit about your vision for active citizenry in, citizenry in Singapore. Yeah, thanks for that shout-out, Tinya. And, and actually, really, we are, we are doing that poll to, to ask to get to crowdsource opinions on this question because we realized that actually, you know, between myself, Sixth Sense, uh, who is uh, Abhishek, and also the folks at uh, OP, Santosh, Adrian, and everything, we, we don't we really have our blind spots and we don't have all the answers. Uh, so this, this is a poll that we are trying to ask this question. If we all recognize the value of ground-up movements and change makers, then how can we intentionally create structures that nourish them and enable them to go the uh, distance? So we actually spoke to several change makers and we gleaned some suggestions and we also added our own. 
we formed an initial 15 statements that we want to invite other change makers and Singaporeans to vote for. But we're also hoping to use this to crowdsource their opinions and get other people to vote on these opinions. So I think some of the statements, the 15 statements in the poll really paint a future or a vision for active citizenry that we'd like to see. I went through the poll and I, I kind of wanted to highlight three. Maybe you know, these are also can respond to that question that you asked. Uh, interestingly, one of the statements was there should be opportunities for bilateral secondments between public agencies and change-maker organizations so that the civil servants and change-makers can learn from each other and contribute to each other's decision-making processes. So this was something that, that came up for us as well because of some of the challenges that we experience working with some public agencies and also kind of like some of our members don't really necessarily have an understanding of what our public agencies do. So can I, the, I mean, the interesting thing was when I saw that question, I was also thinking not just public sector agencies, but within the nonprofit space between intermediaries and those who work directly with the beneficiaries, but also the funders, sometimes philanthropists or foundations. I mean, without naming, some foundations are staffed by folks who have never worked in a social service agency before, right? And so if you have a public service background or you have a for-profit background going to a foundation, that's going to be very different in terms of thinking of how to work with a social service agency. So yeah, I agree with, with that a lot. Yeah. You know, but, but that's a great comment. And, you know, uh, do, do you put that in as a person? I don't know. I don't even want to vote on it too. <laughs> but, but I mean, the idea of succumbent uh, is interesting, right? Because the, 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 the point that the three groups are pointing to, as you pointed to, is that different sectors will have different experiences. And sometimes we are blind to those experiences as well. So, so this succumbent or sabbaticals might be a really good way to kind of um, increase interactions and facilitate those kind of conversations, yeah. Yeah, and the other one was, was on like fund, fundraising. I, I think you also alluded to it earlier, the idea of like, you know, can we move away from the funding 80, 80% maybe to covering 100% for folks who might not be able to raise the remaining 20% or even from the disbursement cycle perspective. I think one of the things that we thought about was like, can the funding for change-making projects include monetary support, like say stipends or salaries, but for qualified change-makers whose projects are a bit more complex and involve a longer commitment. I, I feel like there's a lot of, understanding in how to fund like projects that provide immediate assistance. Like, oh, mass distribution, very simple. Ma. That one, you don't really need to fund man, manpower. But if you look at community building work, right? Say something like what Abhishek is doing in Kabum Baru. Like, it's not just about running programs. He is literally holding the space for consistent and stable relationships to be formed with the kids. And if that takes five years, 10 years, and it requires, it is complex. It requires a longer commitment, more creative planning. But in a crisis, he can actually quickly sense ground needs even faster, right? Than a lot of very formal agencies. And he passes these needs to the formal agency. So there is a nice bridge that he's kind of supporting them with community building. Can we fund the salary of this person so that his work can continue? Not to make him rich, not to, I don't know, it seems like there's a lot of reluctance to fund this kind of intermediary work that you that you met, you know. But yeah, so so that that was one. And the other one was something that was interesting on capability development. So if you think of like, say, NCSS has like uh, these different capability development grants for staff who work in a charity. And then in the like broader Singaporean term, right, we have like use future credits to upskill ourselves for employment. Could we have a version of that for change makers? We went learn from like someone like Tong Yi from Common Ground or Thought Collective and, you know, have our training fees be subsidized because we have something that we can apply it to. You know, it's not just about finding a job, right? but it's about applying to a community that we work with. So these are three of the 15. Now. So if anyone's interested to come and add your own and vote, and we are hoping to have a 
panel discussion on the week before National Day to bring in some of these funders and folks to kind of really talk about if we value this, right, and we see the value of the pandemic as kind of bringing up activism, then let's not let it die. Let, let, let's have it sustained. Yeah, and we'll put the link in, in the show notes and I... I don't want to be, I should be a cheerleader because a lot of the points you've made are points I completely agree with, right? And then and, and completely resonates with me. And really thank you for joining us and then sharing with us. I, we always have really wonderful conversations. I mean, sometimes I think the non-recorded bits are probably more interesting, but you know, really appreciate your insights. And then thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.